At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today, I want to consider some of the ways in which a compliance professional can work to implement internal controls in a multinational organization. The first step is to convert your company's compliance risk into internal control objectives. The internal control objectives are then given to each business unit with instructions to develop controls which meet these objectives. This process should allow more of a fine-tuning approach within existing systems than the development of specific controls by the corporate office which all business units must adopt and will give the business units a sense of buy-in and participation in the process. I would also add that it will more thoroughly operationalize your compliance program because you have engaged the business unit or geographic area, as I have noted, but it also will have more specificity in your compliance program so that if the government ever comes knocking and needs evidence or wants evidence of the operationalization of your compliance program as specified in the evaluation of corporate compliance programs released in February 2017, you will be able to demonstrate this. One example of this process might work in a situation where the compliance risk is that of a third-party representative who may be paid for an invoice amount before the third-party representative has gone through your full third-party approval process. Here, the control objective is that internal controls should be in place to ensure that no vendors are added to the vendor master file until the vendor has been approved internally. If your company has sophisticated ERP systems such as SAP where checks are generated using a vendor master file and signed by the computer, this control objective may be met by adding a field to the vendor master file which inserts the date the vendor is approved, and by programming such as a requirement the vendor cannot be inserted in name cannot be inserted into a check to pay the vendor unless the designated fields are populated. There would also be manual controls over the input of the date to ensure that the company is not that the data is not entered inappropriately. These internal controls could translate into forms for changes to the vendor master file, which is initiated by the person in charge of the vendor due diligence and requires a second set of eyes of sign-off by a second person, such as the controller. Through this mechanism, you have created a primary control through your third-party approval process and validated that process if a change is made. What if your location or business unit involved does not have a sophisticated ERP system such as SAP? For instance, at another location, QuickBooks is used. Then the control objective could be satisfied by a similar form of changes to the vendor master file combined with the requirement that a report of all changes be printed and submitted to both check signers along with applicable approved vendor change request. One of the banes of any compliance officer is the pushback they inevitably receive when attempting to institute something new or different. The same can be true of internal controls. What happens when the compliance function receives pushback and is told 
that controls will be too burdensome and will make operations less efficient. Many business development types will raise a hue and cry that the internal controls are preventing them from effectively running businesses, their business most specifically. Finally, there are many groups in the company that may well say that a rework of internal controls will simply be too costly. One of the areas available to the compliance professional is benchmarking of other companies' compliance experiences. However, this can be expanded into solid presentations about why it is important to assess and mitigate compliance risk using your corporate peers that have been the subject of an FCPA enforcement action. This is some of the best sources of information a compliance practitioner can avail him or her himself or herself of, which is to provide good insight as to why it was never expected that a company would be subject to FCPA enforcement, an insight into the extreme disruption, cost, and anxiety which must be accompanied by enforcement actions. The premise is that cost of control should not exceed the benefits to be obtained, so it really comes down to internally setting, internally selling a cost-benefit analysis. If the selling is done after a basic risk analysis, then it should be a relatively easy to obtain occurrence that certain risks must be mitigated and that the benefits exceeded the expected cost. Furthermore, there are occasions where no costs associated with improving controls. A good example is when realignment of duties using existing staff achieves an improved set of internal controls. Another example is when manual controls can be converted to the electronic controls such that the only cost is programming and retraining. Another key factor with all the compliance initiatives, as with all compliance initiatives, is tone at the top. This means you should meet and present the case for compliance-focused internal controls to your company's executive leadership team, audit committee of the board, or other appropriate group of senior executives. The presentation can include, with examples, the importance of identifying and mitigating compliance and fraud risk. Some of these might include the following. Illustrating the examples of how controls can prevent bribery as well as other types of occupational fraud. Illustrating that controls are needed around all business controls, nothing exotic or out of the ordinary. With with proper control design, it may be possible to eliminate some existing detect controls in favor of more useful, preventative, or even prescriptive controls. As a result of your business changes or resulting changes in assessed risk, it may be that some procedures now being performed are no longer needed and resources can be shifted to more necessary resource. In other words, less is actually more. It may be important to build in electronic controls, which can replace existing manual controls. What if your company does an assessment of the internal controls over financial reporting as part of your Sarbanes-Oxley compliance and the chief financial officer or other appropriate corporate officer annually certifies the internal controls effective? How should this be dealt with? Or conversely, how might a compliance professional respond? There are two primary reasons why an assessment under SOX is not sufficient for the compliance officer's purposes. Obviously, the scope of the SOX assessment, one is the scope of the SOX assessment, and second is the design of SOX assessment. This means that the SOX process addresses only internal controls over financial reporting, that is, the controls in place to prepare financial statements for presentation to third party, third parties. The process does not address the risk or control needs with respect to the FCPA or compliance more generally. Another example is internal controls over disbursements, which may be evaluated as effective if there's a three-way match of the approved purchase order, the vendor invoice, and the receiving report. Those controls do not address risk that an agent may submit an invoice before the agent has been vetted and the invoice will be paid. 
It also does not address whether the agent's invoice was reviewed for proper discretion, excuse me, description of business purpose and consistent with being the approved contract with the agent. You should also consider that the SEC will review your Once SOX again, thanks to our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, Internal Controls Assessment, for sponsoring not this with an eye or with series. an additional eye of Compliance Controls Assessment. Because compliance controls are specified under the FCPA, and a company must have effective compliance controls, this can be a separate area of inquiry. And simply because you have a SOX assessment done does not mean, and certification does not mean that you have a proper compliance certification and assessment. Second primary reason for SOX certification of financial internal controls itself is not enough for the design criteria. Obviously, SOX has a materiality threshold. This means that operations outside the U.S. may be excluded from scope due to materiality. It may mean that some functions are operating below the financial level control, financial internal controls level. Compliance professionals need to continually remind others there is no re- materiality requirement in FCPA enforcement. Good compliance conter- internal controls are not standalone protective measures. They can help to make a company more run, run more efficiently as internal controls that prevent compliance violations is the same one that prevent fraud in the workplace. The presence of good internal controls saves money by preventing fraud. It is a business practice. It is a best business practice to prevent fraud, which includes preventing corruption. I've long wondered about the Ethosphere and its annual survey of the world's most ethical companies because they exceed the standard and poor's index of average profits and growth. What I've come to understand is that one of the keys of such companies is they do better than average profitability because they have better internal controls in place. You should utilize this example and never forget it when presentations are made to senior management. So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, number one, convert your compliance risk into internal control objectives. Number two, as with many components of a best practices compliance program, tone at the top is critical. You must have senior management buy-in to enhance, implement, enhance, or update your internal controls. And number three, if you receive pushback from the business folks, always remember good internal Compliance controls make for a better run, more efficient, and at the end of the day, more profitable business. And if you need evidence of that, take a look at any annual Ethosphere awards of the world's most ethical companies. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of One Month to Better Internal Controls. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings. Get the word out about the only one-month podcast series, which enables you to design, implement, and enhance a better compliance program. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.